so uh, I've been thinking a lot about Christmas traditions recently. I got married this year and suddenly my Christmas traditions are out the window. Um, and we, Frey and I are very much trying to learn the game of compromise and traditions aren't normally aren't necessarily the right way and the wrong way, they're just traditions. Everyone has them, you know, we all have traditions uh, when, when it comes to Christmas. It's what makes Christmas our Christmas. It's what separates the Loftus family from the Morgan family, from the Henderson family, from the Falconer family. Traditions are, are part of being British, frankly, in, uh, well, in our approach to Christmas. And as Ellie was saying earlier, it's great she said it, we haven't actually planned it. Um, that, you know, the approach to Christmas is so almost messy sometimes. Work kind of ramps up and everyone's charging towards the, normally around the 28th to the 24th, where they can just get on holiday and relax. And traditions help us in this time. They're, they're the, the, the things that, that, that we do that we know that we can rely on. They're what we expect. You know, they, it's what makes us... Uh, be able to relax and kind of float on through the festive period. Traditions are safe. They're our safe zone. But my worry in all this is that, that this tradition translates into our approach to the Christmas story. Now let's be honest, we've all heard the Christmas story. You know, this momentous occasion 2,000 years ago where God's master plan for this earth, his own son Jesus, was born in an outhouse in Bethlehem to a young couple called Mary and Joseph. You know, nativity plays, including the one we're going to see today, play out this scene time and time again, year after year. But my, my worry is, since we expect this story, do we kind of just limit it at that? Is that it? You know, we expect the Christmas story. Yeah, yeah, I know what's happening. Is that it? A great occasion, 2,000 years ago, but as long as I remember it, you know, say my thank you before I tuck into my turkey, then me and the big man upstairs, we're sweet. At least I've remembered it. And does our Christmas story stop with baby Jesus? So my challenge today is that the Christmas story isn't something to just be remembered. You know, simply acknowledged once a year, rolled out uh, around December the 25th every year. Because in a world of pain, anger, hurt, hopelessness, loneliness, frustration, helplessness, God intervened. Into hopelessness, God birthed hope. But this Christmas story is a living story. It's the story of God's continuing restoration of this world, continually bringing hope into hopelessness. The story isn't contained at little baby Jesus 2,000 years ago. It is very much still being played out today. So what I want to do is just tell you three stories. Three stories of hope. Three stories that, uh, that, that show that God is still very much alive these, this echoes of this momentous occasion is still very much being played out today. So last week there was a bunch of people praying in Hull. And um, they were praying for just, you know, God to speak to them. And God gave them separately, people around this, this huddle, uh, different words. So they got a high-vis jacket. Let me just warn you that these are random words before I actually begin. A high-vis jacket, a blue baseball cap. 
the feeling that this chap is at, uh, at a crossroads in his life and he doesn't really know where to go. And the name Andrew. Three very, or four very random things uh, that frankly seem completely unrelated. So, they leave that place. They're walking through the city and sure enough, I think you know as you expect from this story, there stands a man in a high-vis jacket and a blue baseball cap. So they're going, oh dear me, here's the words that God's given us, here's the, the picture we've seen, we'll go talk to him. So they, they come up and talk to him. And then they just start chatting to him and ask him a bit of his story and what's going on in his life. And the guy starts to open up and says, you know what, I've actually just been kicked out of my house and I'm afraid to go home. So I'm standing here and I have no idea where to go. Am I homeless? Do I, do I move to a different city to try and go back to my parents? Do I, I, I just don't know what to do. High-vis jacket, blue baseball cap, a cap, and at a crossroads in his life with no idea where to go. So the guys that have been praying are just, you know, they're blown away by this. So they, they open up to this guy and say, look, God gave us these pictures that we're talking about, that, that we knew that we had to talk to you, because we, we saw this, this picture of the high-vis jacket, the blue baseball cap, and you're telling us that you're at a crossroads. Can we just pray for that? Because we believe God has given us that for you. So sure enough, they pray for him, and the guy's getting a bit emotional. And at the very end, they go, so, sorry, we should have asked earlier, what's your name? And the guy goes, my name's Andrew. And the team are just absolutely blown away by this. They start, you know, they're just like, this is unbelievable. The guy's a bit confused. And they tell him the fourth bit of the puzzle was his name was Andrew. And this guy, amidst the hopelessness that he is experiencing, breaks down, emotional, crying, because he knows that God has spoken to him. God intervened into that hopelessness. Into the hopelessness, God brought hope. Incredible story. Here at G2, over the last few weeks, you'll know we've been collecting for the food bank. So, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of the backstory around this. When we were setting up a target for it, um, to be honest, we thought 200 was being ambitious. We, there, was, there was conversations going around of, is it... Is, is, is that just a bit too far? Will we actually be able to do it? Will we be able to reach that number? Because 200 is a lot. It's a big number. But we went, you know what? No. Cocky, cocky us, frankly. We went, no, we're going to be ambitious. 200 it is. And we went for it. We went, yeah, 200, let's go. Sure enough, God stands there and goes, hang on a second, guys. You're playing my game of bringing hope into hopelessness. This is my territory you're playing in here. And God absolutely blows our expectations and says, guys, let me show you the generosity of the people I created. Sure enough, two weeks later, we have around 400 presents and a cheque for 500 quid going to Food Bank this Christmas. God absolutely blowing our expectations and bringing hope into hopelessness today. The last story I want to tell you is a friend of, family friend of Frey and I. Um, his name is David Richards, and he's he's from Bath. He's an old chap. Uh, he's in his seventies. And a couple of years ago, David was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. So we went through the process of uh, radiotherapy and, and whatnot, and he, he came out of it quite well. For an old guy, he came out of it quite well. And they thought they were in the clear. 
Earlier this year in July, actually it was my wedding day, unrelated, I promise, um, he collapsed. He was out with his family, 200 miles from home, out for, for, with his family, and he collapsed and went to the local hospital. So the doctors did their scans, whatnot, and they turned around to the family and said, I would call the rest of the family, because, because this guy's not leaving the hospital. You better bring them up from Bath because he's not getting home, I can tell you that now. The cancer had completely spread. The guy was riddled with it. Legions on his liver, his, his kidneys, and his lungs, and inspected in his brain. So we prayed. Frey and I prayed. Our, our, my grandmother-in-law actually went up, prayed for him. The whole church down in Bath prayed. All his families and friends played, prayed. Three days later, David leaves the hospital in a wheelchair and he, he gets home. Doctors are astounded by even this. Over the next few months, people pray. They pray and they pray and they pray for this guy. Let me tell you, a month ago, David walked into the hospital, a hospital that he left in a wheelchair. He walked into the hospital. When they did the test on him, there wasn't a trace of cancer in his liver. There wasn't a trace of cancer in his kidneys. And the only thing that even suggested that this man had cancer at, a, at another point was a tiny lesion in his lungs. Complete healing. In absolute hopelessness. The doctors were so astounded by this. They've started, in, started to refer to this guy as the resurrected Mr. Richards. Like, the, the medical staff are stumped. And this guy's able to say, actually, you know, my friends and family have been praying for me. This is what happens. You see, guys, this Christmas story isn't a Christmas story from 2,000 years ago. It's not a bedtime tale. It's not something that has been passed through the generations and limited to there. My challenge this Christmas is to keep your eyes open. Because this Christmas story is very much alive today. The point in telling you these stories is to let's raise our faith that the, the, the very same miraculous event that happened 2,000 years ago echoes throughout eternity. The seismic waves of that occasion have literally split time. And today we're living in this, in the, in this time where God is continually bringing his restoration to this world. So this Christmas, I... I, I urge you guys and I pray for you guys let's keep our eyes open in the midst of everything else let's look for the living story let's look for the living story of hope let's expect the living story of hope and let's see what, what God actually has planned out